0: on social media at all, which you probably do because you're here, or if you know anything about me, you know that I'm borderline obsessed with the Dark Shadows Everyday blog, and I'm really excited because tonight we're going to talk to Danny Horn, who is the creator and author of this incredible blog, so I think we're in for some really great conversation here. Danny, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks. I'm very happy to be here. I want to kind of start by examining your strange journey that links your past <laughs> and your future by asking, yeah. how the heck did you take on such a massive project, and do you kind of regret it now? <laughs> I actually, I, I don't regret it, but I'm, it's, we're getting to a difficult place. Um, I started this project because, um, I guess it's now been like three and a half years ago. Uh, I was reading a lot of blogs and listening to podcasts where people would take would write about every piece of some huge series so there was um, a podcast about spider-man that i was listening to and i was reading a blog about doctor who and i thought that looks like so much fun um i love to write and it would be fun to just have like a huge thing a huge project to write about so i always like have something to say every day um so i came up with this idea of writing about dark shadows which is a five year series. I'm actually just taking four years of it. It aired nineteen sixty-six to nineteen seventy-one and I love it and I've loved it since I was a kid. Uh and so it seemed like a good idea that I would just every single day write about the episode of the show um kind of in order as it aired. And it's uh been hard and it's been great and right now I uh I'm getting into the part of the show where the show really stopped being good. <laughs> and uh, and I'm counting down now. Like I, I hit 200 uh, episodes to go, 200 posts to go, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so now I'm like counting down from 200. I think right now I have like 187 that I still have to write. And I'm upset now if I miss a day because that does mean it's another day added on at the end of my sentence. Uh, do you do you skip days? Do you allow yourself to like you know? Skip days saying, well, I just don't have time to do it today. Or do you feel like it's sort of, you know, you have made this commitment to your audience and just like a real soap, you can't just say, I'm taking today off. I, I got, I've slipped. There was a, a long, long time when I would just absolutely actually write a post a day. But the posts have gotten, over time, they've gotten a lot longer and more elaborate and sometimes require research into various other things. Um, so, yeah, no, I've slipped. But like I said, like I I get upset if I slip because I my commitment is really more than like doing five posts a week. The commitment is I'm going to keep going until I hit episode 1245, and so however long that takes, like it is it is to my benefit if I <laughs> if I you know if I stay five days a week and I'll get to that by like April. I think it's important to note that you know for people who've heard me talk about the blog but maybe haven't checked it out that it's about so much more than just you recapping the show. It's not just, you know, a, a, a very well-written, funny, daily recap. It gets into everything from the political and social cultures of the time and how they impacted the show. It gets into things that sometimes I don't even know how they're connected to the show. <laughs> sometimes I'm just doing, like, weird experimental theater writing. So I went back today and I looked at the early blogs, and they are sort of basically a recap. But it yeah. feels like at some point, I don't know whether you got bored with that or you just decided, no, there's so much more here, and you went wildly <laughs> off the rails. Um, I always knew that I wanted, like, a thing that I was looking forward to with the format was that I could kind of experiment and play around however I wanted to. Um, I've never really, even at the beginning, so you're right, it definitely was way more, like, straightforward and just talking about the episode when I first started. Um, and I actually, like, I remember, it's it developed over time. I remember a point kind of, like, a year in when I realized, oh, you know what? If half of something happened yesterday and half of something happened today, I could just write about that as one piece rather than, like, just staying to the limit of what happened in this half hour. And mm-hmm. it's usually liberating. Um, and all of a sudden, like, I could actually write posts and not get stuck on, like, well, but then this is the cliffhanger, so I'm only writing half of the- it. So you basically started making it up as you went along. Yeah, and then I got weirder as the show got weirder. (laughs) So, and that's sort of, that's where we are now. Um, That the show started out as this very straightforward, um, dark soap opera. Uh, And then the point at which it started to get interesting is in episode 210 when they introduced a vampire. Um, That's where I start the blog because that's where um, the reruns always started, which is how I saw it. Um, and after a while, like, the vampire takes over the show, because it's the most interesting thing on the show, and then all kinds of stuff starts happening. So there's time travel, and there's witches. After a while, there's werewolves, and people are creating Frankenstein monsters, and it was really when the dream sequences started to get really, really weird, and they did a whole storyline that was actually about dream sequences. That's not time, you know what, I can't like, keep writing about this insane show in a straightforward way. So I started to get kind of more experimental as the show did. Well, that's also a bit of a challenge as well, because certainly during storylines like The Dream Curse, uh, as you were talking about a minute ago, The Dream Curse was a wildly repetitive story. Mm -hmm. It was the same basic thing day after day with maybe it would take one step forward. And so I would imagine that in some ways you face the same challenge that a soap opera writer faces, which is... Based on the assumption you may be onboarding new viewers, how do you continually find ways to sort of tell them what the story is that we're already telling without boring them by simply repeating the same thing? I have actually gotten um, very good now at, like, a couple paragraphs, like a paragraph or possibly two synopsis of everything that you need to know in order to understand basically the next sentence, and then kind of let it go from there. So I, I do... Like struggle with recap, I think, like like some writers do, but sometimes there's there are some posts where I just need to direct people back to you know if you if you have no idea what I'm talking about right now, please see the you know the past 600 posts that I've written, uh, which is actually helpful. You know that works for me. That doesn't work for the soap opera writers. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. They don't have a click here link that yeah. they can just uh, automatically take you to. Yeah, here's, um, here's a footnote if you want to understand what's happening. I don't know what your background is with soaps as a whole, but I find that you do some of the most insightful writing about the genre. How does that come about? Well, I've, I've been interested in and loved soaps uh, for my whole life. Like, Dark Shadows was very important to me when I was a teenager, and One Life to Live was my other soap that I used to watch all the time. And, and you know, sort of as I was kind of growing up, like, everything, every other show in the world kind of turned into a soap opera. There was a point probably like after Hill Street Blues, I guess, like sometime in the late 80s, when all of a sudden every show started to have continuing storylines. I watch TV a lot and I think about it a lot. Um, And so part of what this blog was about for me is figuring out how TV works, um, how stories develop from one episode to another. And Dark Shadows is actually a perfect testing ground for those kinds of ideas because they were working so close to the line. They were writing scripts about two weeks ahead and they were just going, it was sort of like uh, they were constantly just falling backwards downstairs in a hurricane (laughs) and they end up with a script for the next day and that's great and then they go on to the next one so you could see kind of in real time as things are working or not working. You can watch like what they started paying attention to or what they played down. Um, And so that's been a real education in in how soaps work. Well, one of the great moments um, that you really talked about in the book that I never knew about before, there comes a point in the Leviathan story where they realize the audience hates this story, (laughs) it's not working, they need to do a reboot, and they actually go backwards and tape an episode and insert it into, you know, the, yeah, into, if you would, into the middle of already yeah. taped episodes. And I, don't, I can't think of any other situation that I'm aware of where that actually happened. No, that was amazing. It was, they had to turn the ship, and they realized what was happening was uh, in the Leviathan story uh, that Barnabas, the main character, suddenly, like halfway through an episode, uh, turned into a member of a, of a like, Lovecraft-style cult um, with the old ones and the dark creatures from beyond time, sort of now controlling him and working through him, it didn't really make a lot of sense as a story, and people really didn't like it. So, they made an emergency episode. <laughs> they recorded, like, a couple weeks back. You know, they they recorded something to, to insert into the show a couple weeks back that does some flashbacks and explains that oh, it wasn't really Barnabas's fault all this time. He hasn't been evil like this. It's just that they're threatening his, his old girlfriend and they're gonna kill her if he doesn't do this. Um and then they sort of insert it into the show and then keep going with what they've taped, which means that it's a fairly abrupt bump in the flow of the story uh, you know, for that episode and then it just basically goes right back into Barnabas uh you know, being evil again. Um and unfortunately like the weirdest thing about it is that wasn't even the right choice. <laughs> like they were they tried so hard and it was amazing that they they worked like they made a show that they were basically going to air two days later. Um, they did a lot of work to, to make it work. And then the problem wasn't actually that Barnabas was evil. People like Barnabas being evil. Um, he's a vampire. He's supposed to be. The problem was that he was being boring and fighting boring people. And so, you know, once they did that turn, like he was, he was still trapped in this boring storyline that didn't mean <laughs> <use> anything. The <laughs> there's sort of, a, there's sort of a, i – I'm going to confess right up front. The Leviathan story, which I went into – it's sort of notorious. Yeah. I hate it, you know, people think of mm-hmm. it as such a bad story and I went into it and I was I was sort of surprised how much I didn't hate most of it toward the end. It starts to fall apart But it's yeah, it's a better story than I expected it to be. Were, did you find the same thing to be true? Yeah, definitely and this is actually um, Was some good soap work actually at the beginning of the story where um, they went back into a character's history and brought Carolyn's father who? hadn't appeared on the show up until that point Like they thought that he was dead for a long time he suddenly comes back from the dead it's a real like soap family moment um carolyn's mother doesn't want to let him in the house is furious with him and carolyn kind of brokers this peace deal between them and it's really exciting to see sort of these this big change happening in these characters lives um and so that was sort of baked into the weird lovecraft cult story and so, actually, the beginning of it with that stuff was really fantastic. And then that falls apart, too. Like, they, <laughs> after a while, they don't know what to do with the father, um, and they end up killing him, like, halfway through the story, which is clearly weird. And um, and then Carolyn falls in love, actually, with the creature who kills her father, um, but she never knows. So, it's clearly set up, the whole story is, is clearly set up for this moment, this sort of, big crisis when she's going to find out that this man that she loves that she's going to marry is actually the creature that killed her father and they come really really close to doing that like six times and then they don't do it they just, i have no idea why they just like completely back off of it they just have her be kind of stupid um and not put things together and eventually they kill the guy and she still never ever knows anything that was kind of why people would really just hate the end of that story. It's like we knew it's going someplace and then it just completely does not. Well, I think the two other big problems with that story is one and You know, this is a problem that sci-fi stories on television have had, or sci-fi horror stories on television have had for years. It's very hard to make us feel like the world is in danger when it involves like three people. It's a little difficult to get too invested in this being a, you know, why is the Collins family the only people threatened? So the the limited scope of your, they're going to take over, they're going to take over this house, and then step two, take over the world, basically. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that's a problem. But I think the other thing is. The reason that it ultimately becomes so disappointing is that great moment that you mentioned when they bring Paul back, who you know is this character from the past. Not only do they bring him back, but there's—I think it might be my favorite Dark Shadows story twist when they reveal yeah. that he unintentionally, basically, yeah. sold his daughter or gave his daughter to these creatures without realizing it. I mean, that is just—that is such an amazing. Story yeah. point, it's unpredictable, it's a soap, and it's soapy, it's good, solid soap, and then they never explore it. She never finds that out either. Yeah, they, it's, they really had such a great soap opera idea, and it's actually, like, a lot of times I can figure out from, like, forensic watching the show, I can look at the clues that are in the show and figure out what they were thinking and what they were going for, and that one I have no idea. They did such a great job constructing... That the soap opera part of that story. And after a while, it just becomes like werewolves and Leviathan creatures all shouting at each other and killing each other. Is your blog in some ways, and, and I honestly believe this, I mean, like, I read it this way. I read your blog as sort of a cautionary tale. For example, I look at, you know, when I look at at the modern soap landscape, one of the things that is troubling to me is the fact that Days of Our Lives tapes five, six months in advance, meaning they can't yeah. possibly reverse course if there is a problem. Now, I think that at some point Dark Shadow was coming a little too close to the edge, but there's got to you know, like There's a happy medium there. Yeah, and every good show really pays attention to what's going on with the audience, like what people are responding to. That's kind of why you have serialized narrative at all. Dickens didn't like write a whole book and then publish it in chunks. He was actually writing chapter after chapter and publishing them. And part of what made him so popular and made him such a genius was that he was really, really good at figuring out what people were interested in and then sort of moving the story to fit that. Um, and so any television show really is doing the same thing as long as there's some time between, you know, between seasons or you know, from one week to another where audience feedback can um, get baked back into the show. Then that's ultimately what's going to make a successful show, show. and that's why you see successful shows changing over time um, because they're paying attention to what people like. Um, and yeah, and so if Days of Our Lives is is taping six months ahead. Yeah, what are you seeing in the show? Then are you seeing uh, like couples who aren't working like just keep getting pushed? Well, we I mean, saw we saw a huge season. we saw a huge problem. I mean, the the situation yeah. got so bad that uh, a couple months ago, they basically said, you know, we need to fix this, we need to address this, and so they they brought in Ron Carlovati who used to write General Hospital, they brought him over to take over days, and, okay. and this was this was great news, but from the time they announced it to his, I mean, they announced this months <laughs> okay. ago, and his material yeah. just literally started airing last week, so oh, my God. even when you announce that you're doing something, you know, it takes yeah. months it for long time. before yeah. it appears on screen, and that's, yeah, that's sort of a little bit of a problem one of the other things you talk about repeatedly in the blog and it seems like such basic common sense and yet television shows both daytime and primetime fail at it all the time explain to me or well explain to the audience because I clearly know it your concept of how to introduce a character yeah there's basically there's three steps that I figured out to make the audience like a new character um, which is to make a friend to make a joke and to make a plot point happen and it's really that simple and if you actually break down like how a character was introduced you can tell why people like them or don't Um, making a friend is important because it gives that character sort of a place in the world sort of gives them value in the narrative and it means that if uh if they have there's somebody else that they're involved with then they're not going to just suddenly disappear again um, so that sort of gives them value. Making a joke just means that they're at least willing to entertain you in some way. Like, they're making, they're making an effort. Um, and then making a the plot point happen means that there's a reason why we're pointing the camera at this person. Um, and it does happen in, in soap operas, like, really distressingly often. That they'll bring in somebody who's, like, somebody's niece, and she's very pretty. And then... She starts dating somebody, and she's just annoying. Mm-hmm. And and like and that is the that's you know the beginning and the end of, of this character's like summer storyline.
1: And it's, it's really it's, it's, hard it's, it's to course
0: correct that. It's really hard to change the audience's mind because there there's there's currently a character on General Hospital uh, named Amy, who was designed after Amy Vining, who was one, a beloved character many years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the character was introduced as this really annoying. Gossip who and and the original Amy was a gossip, but she was a lovable gossip And this girl was just in everybody's business. Nobody liked her now They are tr- they're trying to turn the ship around and they're trying to build major story around her, but it's too late You know the audience just is, yeah, they, they just have no interest Is it <laughs> is it also important? You know when you talk about make a friend is it also important who that person is because who that friend is that they make can tell you a lot about that character and what we're supposed to think of them i would assume yeah it's actually um there's something that is almost I, I think tribal about it um which is weird there's something that's like super deep in the way that humans work that the people that we see on tv if we're going to let this show into our house and we're going to watch it especially if we're watching it five five days a week um this is like a tribe of people that we know and when a new person comes in, it's kind of potentially an invader who we aren't going to like. And so people are understandably suspicious. When, unless someone comes in and they're just an instant charisma machine, which happens every once in a while, um, everybody else, they really have something to prove when they come in. And if they botch that, you can, you can rebound from that. Um, but I think it's, it is really hard. Another thing that happens on, uh, we're seeing on daytime that happened on Dark Shadows, and I'm interested if it's yeah. sort of another one of those, you know, cases where where your blog is a cautionary tale. Dark <laughs> Shadows got to a point where um, there were no good people on the show. And if you were a good person, you basically had no story. You were just sort of, right. you know, Elizabeth might wander in on occasion and, and offer up a warning or something. But unless she was being threatened by one of the bad people, she had mm-hmm. no place on the canvas, and General Hospital in, specific, in particular right now has that same problem in that, like, all of the lead characters, you know, Sonny's a mobster, Julian's a mobster, mm-hmm. Valentine killed two people, um, and it seems like that's a little bit difficult for the audience because at a certain point, the fact that the moral compass is so broken means you don't yeah. really know who to root for. Well, something that's funny though, and so you will know this much better than I do, but I feel like people have been saying that about General Hospital for how long? It's been running on like twenty years time. now. Yeah, yeah <laughs> at, at least seven, weeks. A long time. I I I knew General Hospital like basically when Soapnet was was first on, and I was watching Soapnet all the time. Um, that was when I when I saw a bunch of uh, General Hospital, um, but even back then, and that must have been twenty years ago, that um, people are basically saying the same thing about like Sonny and Jason that all the main characters are, are monsters and all the quarter mains are gone. Um, how do you think they've lasted so far? Well, I think soaps are in sort of a right now in a foxhole mentality. You know, I think that, yeah. that the ratings have fallen so much over the last decade um, for, for a variety of reasons. You know, there there's so many reasons why soap ratings are down that... They're afraid mostly, to change anything. Related to right, things. mostly can't. Right, Candy Crush and OJ. Yeah. You know, those are those are the yeah. things. Candy Crush <laughs> and OJ. Um, I think I think that, that ruins you see so many things, it, so many things basically, too. Um, that that you see this this fear that if we change anything, if mm-hmm. we don't keep telling the exact same stories, and you know, and I harp on this a lot on the podcast because yes we don't, we are not seeing soaps tell modern stories. You know, soaps should be telling stories about, you know, sexuality and, and modern ethics and abortion mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And they don't. They tell the same six stories they've been telling, you know, forever. And I kind of feel right. like that's one of the reasons that they're not latching on to a young audience because the young audience looks at this and, and laughs. They can, they can turn on the haves and have-nots on primetime and see a show that reflects, you know, a broad mm-hmm. spectrum of characters and sexualities and Political beliefs, and and I don't know. I find that I think that that's sort of you know one of the problems that daytime is having is it's not adapting. Let's see. I actually, I'm now that you ask that, I want to believe that. Like I want to agree with that so much because I I do want to see more kinds of stories, and I do want to see uh, sexuality, and I do want to see like sort of more diverse people on on the shows. Um, but I think possibly the biggest mistake that I can think of that current soap operas have been making for a long time is just not paying attention to which couples work. Um, That one of those sort of stories that you say that, you know, have been repeated over and over again is a couple comes together, they're great. And then the only thing that the writers can think of to do is to split them apart almost immediately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Kidnap one of them or have some other sexy stranger come up and make trouble for them or something, like, that. as soon as you have people that you like watching together, then instantly, like, that has to be in jeopardy, and jeopardy means those two people aren't even talking anymore. Right, is, and it's, it's a, an inability to come up with internal struggles and basically within the couple, you know, internal struggles within the couple structure and, and instead forcing external things upon them that feel right. more fake and plot pointy. Yes. And that just drives them apart. And actually, um, my belief is that a couple doesn't have to be – it doesn't even have to be a romantic couple, but if they are, like, they don't have to be technically, like, still together. Um, I think Todd and Blair on One Life to Live is is sort of my favorite example of it, where they got married and broke up and got married and broke up a lot. Um, But when they broke up, most of the time, they were still in each other's lives. And those two were just fun to watch together. The actors had chemistry together, um, they had a long history that was sort of always interesting and spiky, and just watching them together, even when they were broken up or divorced, was always fun. And the thing well, that I, think I is, is weird that people do is, is literally just split them up and not have them in the same room together, which means that a sort of this big source of pleasure for the audience just isn't on the show anymore. Well, I've long considered it. I always call it the Gary and Val syndrome from Knot's Landing. Gary and Val's meant most of the 14 years of Knot's Landing apart. And yet, yeah. every single time, Valene walked into our room and Gary was there. She did this little, <gasps> you know, she gasped. Yeah. Like, you just knew. this was the This was her... This was her guy, no matter how much they hurt each other, no matter. And half the fun was watching them marry other people and destroy lives while <laughs> knowing that they always loved each other and they would always come back together and everyone yes. else would be, you know, <laughs> cast aside in their way. <laughs> right. another weird thing that, um, you know, at some point Madison Avenue decided that they were going to turn over all of television to the 18- to 34-year-old demo. Yeah, But what's interesting to me is Dark Shadows, which was crazy popular with the young audience. I mean, like, mm-hmm. like through their popular – but they almost never played their young characters. I mean, you look at David, you look at Amy, you look yeah. at Carolyn. They had they stories occasionally, but they really – they were not the driving force of that show. You know, the, yeah. the people who were driving that show were well out of their teens. How does that work? Actually, actually, I would say the hottest couple, like the most exciting couple on the show that people really connected to, they were both 200 years old. Like <laughs> Barbus and Angelique who were you know, they were kids in the seventeen nineties and by the time it gets to the nineteen sixties, like they're still exciting. They're still fighting with each other. Um, they're still marrying and unmarrying each other. Um, yeah, I think it's it there's so much about like it's it's not necessarily about always wanting to watch people who are just like you. You just want to watch people who are interesting and doing interesting things. And I think you can see a you know a diversity at least of like people's jobs like in sh- in other kinds of shows that people like and watch like Game of Thrones. Those are not people who are going through the same thing that I'm going through either you know at my age or as a kid or whatever. It's just that that's a really exciting story that's really well told. And I think that that's you know that's the oldest story in the book. If it's not on the if it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. And if it's not on the stage, you know who's there to watch yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um. Other shows have tried in the last couple decades to go sort of the Dark Shadows route, sometimes in desperation, sometimes in the beginning. You know, like, yeah. Fort Charles went, you know, got desperate, and they started this, you know, they and they actually did the same thing as Dark Shadows. They started with vampires, then they moved to witches, and they were doing it in 13-week story arcs. Didn't really work. Passions from the beginning introduced, you know, a witch and her talking doll. Yeah. Neither of those really worked. Is it because Dark Shadows was you know, just the right show at the right time and the right place when the country was ready for it? Or is it that, you know, is there such a thing as, like, you're trying too hard? Um, I remember that, that period of Port Charles with Caleb and, like, that that, uh, I was, uh, I think that was when SoapNet was on. <laughs> was like, yeah, it was. Those things were happening, so I was watching some of it. I can't remember exactly why Port Charles failed. I do remember Passions, um, which, like, there's some of the passions that, that I thought was funny or cool, um, but it was unbelievably slow. So that way, Yeah, that was the show where, like, a witch is casting a spell, and she's still going to be casting that spell on Thursday. She has not stepped away for, from her cauldron for four <laughs> or five days. You know, and actually, like, and that was something I think at the time, and possibly Port Charles was doing the same thing around the same time, was not trusting that people would actually watch the show, figuring like we're going for a younger demo and they're only going to watch maybe one episode a week, two episodes a week, and so therefore we have to slow everything down and have everything repeat every day for a long time. Um, and they basically just trained people to stop watching the show. Like if it was okay to watch it one day a week, then how about once every. Like too. Sort of, you, you shouldn't be weaning people off of your show, which I think is what Passion's ultimately did, possibly poor Charles as well. Um, a lot of this is just it's basic, like just point the camera at interesting people, give them something interesting to talk about, um, have them make a joke every once in a while and have a plot happen. Like I, I know I'm being like super, super reductive <laughs> about how, how that stuff works. But, but you're not, because it's, you know, we, Charlie and I talk about this all the time. We look at some of the stuff that airs, and we're like, and we say, who is sitting in the room approving this? It's yeah. not rocket science. It's not. It's, you know, I'd like to think that it's incredibly complicated and that there's some big formula, but it's, it's not rocket science. And when you boil it down to these very simple things like, you know, point, at, point a camera at interesting people and have them do interesting things. Same, and I uh, another thing that you just mentioned that I talk about, all the time um is the modern soaps are training the audience who already has a short attention span not to tune in if you tune in and i and spend 45 minutes of each hour episode telling me what happened in previous episodes because you're afraid i'm going to fall behind you're telling me i'm allowed to fall behind because you will catch me up whereas if i tune in and i have to sort of pay attention that's not a bad thing, because that means I'm going to tune in tomorrow because I'll be afraid that I'm going to miss something. And, you know, again, that just comes down to basics. That's basic storytelling. The short attention span, like, that argument has to die. You and I, we need to do something about the short attention span. People have been talking about that forever, and it's possible that it was true for a while. It absolutely, in the age of streaming and DVRs, it 100% is not true anymore. What's the thing that people talk about when they love a show? That they binge a show. They will binge mm-hmm. watch like, a whole season of a nighttime show in a day because they love the show and because the technology helps them to do that. If people and, care about Days of Our Lives, like the, the viewers that you want for Days of Our Lives, even if they're not around to watch it on the day because they're, you know, they're DVRing it and they're going to watch it on the weekend, people are absolutely willing to spend multiple hours Sitting on a couch and watching the same show these days—that's kind of the way people watch TV. So I need to take a little bit of a swerve here because right. um, I, I actually—I had solicited um, some of these questions. I actually got from readers and uh, okay. both of your blog and of, of my Twitter feed, and who know that I talk mm-hmm. about this a lot. And one of the things someone asked me was, someone said, and I'm quoting them directly. Ask him why he's such a hard-ass on Roger Davis. <laughs> it's not me. It's Roger. It's absolutely not me. Uh, Roger Davis, there are um, – he had these weird tells, like almost poker tells. When he didn't know what to do, uh, he would touch his face. <laughs> that is not me. I did not make him do that, but it's super weird um, he puts. He always needs something to do with his hands, and it's either put them on a woman who's near me, like to so any girl that he's with, whether he's romantic. There's there are some scenes where he's where his character uh, has a sister who's disabled and in a wheelchair and can't move, and he just stands there and talks about how important she is, is to him, and just rubs his hands all over that girl, <laughs> and she is looking. Super. It's actually this amazing, like, you can absolutely see through the TV screen to the real actors as they're playing that part. You can see on her face, I am so not comfortable with what's happening in this scene right now. And I am a, I, I am a paralyzed girl. And there's a traumatized, you know, there's nothing I can do right now except to let this man put his hands on me. Uh, so that was terrible. And then if there's no women around, then he touches his face or his head. Um, it's super bothersome. <laughs> and over time, his characters just got angrier and angrier, too. So, I don't know. It's, it's absolutely not me. I'm not the only one. Well, here is something that is you, and this was also, this was another uh, question um, that was submitted. Um, they wanted to know the root of your obsession with the Ralston Purina <laughs> lamp, the colorful <laughs> afghan, and most important of all, David's room and its decor. <laughs> oh, my God. I love David's room. Um, I what is it about David's while? room that I'm, you love so I'm much? So, I'm so good weather. You brought that up. I'd forgotten about David's room. I do like one of the things, um that Dark Shadows fans love is to watch the props and sets get like rebuilt and rebuilt and rebuilt. Uh you know, they didn't have that much studio space and they didn't have like they didn't have that many props. Um, And so they would reuse them all the time. And so you'd see the same thing popping up in different places. The Afghan actually was not my obsession at all. I didn't even know about the Afghan until I think I started reading on Dark Shadows Wiki um, (laughs) that people were making a big deal about the Afghan. And that's the first time I'd ever heard of it. Um, But I am now from day to day tracking where this colorful Afghan goes. Um, The Boston (laughs) Trial Lamp was the one like that since I was a kid, it's, Super visible. This is Ralston Purina because it has this like checkerboard pattern around the top. Um, It's, you know, it's it's sort of like this very unique uh, piece of decor. And so you notice it every time it's in a different room. And so it's fun to kind of like watch these traveling lamps kind of go from one place to another and across different time periods. Um, And then David's room. So David's a little boy. He's like 10 years old. And I think the thing that got me... Uh, really obsessed with his room is that there's a moment when it got very 1969. Um, He always started out, he had like, in his room, there'd really be like a bunch of toys. it would be like a kite on the wall and a map um, and some cars and some, you know, some like metal robots. And because, you know, they didn't have a lot of space, they would take the set down and then rebuild it every time they needed. And so that stuff would kind of move around a little bit, but it was usually the same stuff. And then in 1968 and 69, they just, like they got some really actually very cool looking posters um, for concerts uh, and and hung those on the wall and then there was like a couple of uh, very groovy looking psychedelic little figurines that he had and so that's why I got obsessed with like then tracking uh, exactly what is in David's room in each episode and getting upset if one of the items disappears. Yeah, you're you're borderline obsessed with that. And I'm not that there's <laughs> anything wrong with it. I love when I get to the end of the blog. And, and, and for those who haven't read the blog yet, and I don't know why you're here if you haven't, because I've, I've badgered all of you to read it as best I can. But at the end of the blog, there's there's two sections. One is, well, three sections sometimes. But there's generally like sort of tracking the various items that you're obsessed with. <laughs> um, there's bloopers, which of course there are tons of, and missed dialogue. And then there's behind the scenes, facts and, and, and things. Obviously, you know, two of those things basically come from your watching of the episode. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do you decide what's going to actually go in the blog? And is it just that when you have extra information that you happen to stumble across, you shove it down in the bottom like, oh, here's a behind-the-scenes <laughs> fact because there's just too much going on in this in this particular blog <laughs> entry. I'm Could gonna, I this, is be yeah. this is the over. This is the like, Go to the bonus section. Yeah. Well, a lot of times it's um, – you know, an actor coming on the show and sort of talking about where they came from or an actor leaves the show, and so I I like to look at, like, what they did afterwards. Um, But there's... Dark Shadows is pretty well documented. (laughs) Like, there's actually, you know, there's been a bunch of books, um, and because there's only five years, that a lot of times there's there's anecdotes that you can pick up and actually uh, connect them to one of the episodes that you're watching. And so I like to note... That's that's where a lot of the, those behind-the-scenes notes come from. It's just like somebody mentioned this in this book. Um, I don't think that – like that definitely doesn't happen for, for modern soaps at all. I guess actually you, you're doing it in a magazine. Well, um, that, and, and I'll say the one thing that you mentioned that that modern soap viewers are borderline obsessive with as well, yeah. and I see it especially with General Hospital, is sets. You know, when whenever a new set is instructed, <laughs> yeah. someone will immediately hit my Twitter feed and be like, okay, well – the lamp is uh, – the, the 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 window frame is obviously from Liz's 10th house in 1976. And oh, that, that used happen? to be the quarter main living room. And, yeah, they, that totally happened. And we've actually done interviews with the set designers where they're like, oh, wow, great eyes. Yeah, that's, that's – you're very right. That used to be, you know, so-and-so's house. So something oh, that's really glamorous. funny. I I really thought that that was a thing that didn't happen anymore, that that was a dark shadow thing because it was, the you know, the late 60s and they didn't nope. have a lot of money still have really well funny. especially right. general hospital is very well known for under frank valentini especially um, who's their executive producer he's they're very well known for he is really super budget conscious he brings that show in yeah. you know really under level so that's, that's that's one of the secrets to that i guess <laughs> someday somebody is going to buy you that lamp i i, I hope you know <laughs> that but someday when you are watching the show five times a day for an hour You're spending a lot of time in that environment. That person's living room is kind of an extension of your living room after a while. As you're watching the show through these, you know, sort of not young Danny eyes, but, you know, analytical Danny eyes, has anything surprised you? Has anything that, like, you thought you knew to be true about the show before you started rewatching it? Has anything sort of jumped out and been like, oh, that's surprising? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the... You know, I have watched all of these episodes before, in some cases, multiple times. You know, my favorite storylines I I watched several times before starting the blog. Um, But there are some, like the Leviathan story, I think I only watched maybe like twice over the years. Um, And now the Parallel Time story, which is where I am right now, this might be like my second time watching it. So it was a while ago when I watched, and definitely the, the final like six months, I haven't seen it for years and years. So... Um, I had sort of general ideas of what I was going to like and what I wasn't going to like as I went along. And it has surprised me a lot, actually. (laughs) Like, there are... Especially kind of really focusing on it day-to-day, week-to-week, it has surprised me, actually, how different the show can feel from one week to another. Um, That in the blog, I, I sort of think about them as, like, this week is one piece, and then the next week. And you can see weeks where, like it is really clear that they know something isn't working and so here they are like trying to make the show a lot better and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't and so I'm constantly being surprised by like I thought this whole period was boring but actually this character or this uh, you know this little plot line or this week of the show is actually super interesting and fun and what else have I been surprised by (laughs) definitely like just individual characters I think actually like Barnabas and Josette I'm surprised how much I don't care about this anymore. Mm -hmm. Josette, it's a a major, like, super important character as far as the mythology of the show. Um, And Josette's relationship with Barnabas sort of drives a lot of story for, like, three, four years. Um, And I kind of hadn't really thought before I was sort of writing about it and watching it that she's actually not on the show that much. Like, she's only alive on the show for three, four months, maybe? Mm -hmm. And then, and then they just talk about her for, like, the next three years. Um, <laughs> and and, uh, and when she's on, I realize that I don't like her. I just think she's really boring. I don't see what she and Barnabas actually have in common. When they're together, the only thing that they talk about is their feelings about each other. And, like, she doesn't really do much. And so when she dies on the show, and I was like, wait, that's it? That's all the that does that, that we're going to? for, you know, and then we're just going to talk about it for three years. Like, that was a surprise to me. I had really thought sort of looking at the whole show and thinking about the whole show, she's so important that I figured I must have to like her. But, like, looking really carefully at it and thinking about it every day, I realized, like, no, there just wasn't a lot there. You talk a lot in the blog about sort of the various turning points. And, we, and, and of course, at this point, with only, you know, less than 200 episodes to go, you're in the downward spiral. Yeah. Can you see watching the show, like, yeah, this is this is what's wrong. This is, you know, what killed the show. And is there something that sort of modern soaps can take away from what you're, what you're seeing? Um, I can absolutely see stuff going downhill. We're about to get into a real rough patch in the blog right now. Um, actually, it's funny. I'm, uh, I'll tell you about a, a guy, uh, a commenter on the blog who I- – ended up kind of having a a fight with it was very interesting um he was somebody who started on the blog or started reading the blog like when i was in 1968 so like two years ago he loved it when he first started reading it and was commenting a lot it's sort of this extra blog that happens in the comments under my blog this sort of forum that has developed and you have Um, really passionate followers you have really 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 passionate followers i mean they love your blog. And they love, well, they also, they just love talking about dark shadows. Like, we're, yeah. we're getting to a point um, in this where, you know, the whole storyline's going to change. It's not going to be parallel time anymore. Um, and somebody commented the other day, like, you know what I'll miss when parallel time is over? I'll miss all of us talking and coming up with our own versions of parallel time. It's like, <laughs> For a lot of people, I think, at this point, which is awesome, um, that the comments are actually, like, that's their experience of the blog. Um, they hardly ever talk about the blog itself. Um, but there was this guy uh, who was part of that group and who really liked it and was and was really writing. And then uh, I don't know when the turn was, but there was this point where all of a sudden he started getting really nasty um, about me, about the blog. And finally, like, it came out in, in one comment that was just, like, directly insulting um and so i wrote to him and i said like hey what's going on <laughs> like i thought i thought you used to like me um and but the thing that that was upsetting to him about the blog was that it was starting to get really negative um that the stuff that he loves about what the period that we were in um and he thought that i would be like sort of accentuating these positive things that he thought were really great and instead i was just talking about how the show uh, was dying And I realized when I was talking to him, like, oh, well, that's, like, yes, that's correct. And this is actually the correct time for me to do that. Like, the story of the show is the the vampire comes in, and then for the next three years, basically, it goes up and uphill. It gets um, more successful, and people like it more, and it's just, like, a better written show and a better acted show, and then it hits this peak. And from the peak, it, it tumbles down that hill. So that's, like, the Leviathan story is sort of the beginning of that. And, you know, the story after that is sort of like that's when it really starts to to pick up speed and start to die. Um, And so I realized, like, dude, I'm not ruining your show for you. Your show is ruining itself. Like that is actually the story that I'm telling. Um, And so it is odd like now being in this phase where I'm focused so much on the decline and fall of the show. And I figure actually I'm going to uh, model – the blog after the show itself, that I'm actually planning to have people just stop reading. After a while, like, I'm going to get more boring. I'm going to get more repetitive. Um, And by the time I stop, like, nobody will watch, nobody will read the blog ever again. um, And I'll just, like, burn down the blog and run away, and that'll be be the end of the blog. Um, That's my plan. But to actually answer the question that you asked, um, which is, like, sort of what Shadows could have done, um, actually the weird thing is like it should have been more like a soap opera again. The thing that was great about Dark Shadows was it, it stopped being a soap opera and started to become like a weird mix of universal monsters and like English lit. <laughs> like, you know, they would steal plots from like Turn of the Screw and, and uh, from Edgar Allan Poe. And uh, and so it was this weird mix where it wasn't really acting like a soap opera or at least the, the content of it wasn't, Um, very soapy anymore and the thing that ultimately made them fail was kind of the thing that we talked about with um paul coming in 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 the leviathan story where they had a real kind of soapy moment that was going to change that family and they backed off from it because i think like it's kind of like you said like the good characters nothing really changes nothing happens for them um and at the end of the show really like the thing that they should be doing around the time that I'm writing about right now is they need to start acting more like a soap opera again, which means they need another family to move in. Everything on the the show has kind of, like, moved inward and has become even more obsessed with this one family and this one house. And there aren't soap operas like that, because there's only so much you can do in one house. So they need, like, they need some sexy, like, long-lost sons to come in um, they need, like, another family to come in and be kind of rivals to the columns and actually, like, have characters who can be, like, characters on their own. You know, it's a it's thing that mm-hmm. happens, like, I guess, in General Hospital. Like, the quarter Mains are not what they used to be. Um, on all of these soaps that, that last a long time, like, the families that they started with are not necessarily the families that they have, you know, throughout the next, like, 30, 40 years. And Dark Shadows really was just about the columns. Is it also yeah. sort of that the show, you know, you look at, every now and then you do um, an entry where you're looking at what the other shows were doing at the same time. You know, like what was General Hospital doing or what was the World Hearns doing at the same time that, <clears throat> that any given story was unfolding on Dark Shadows. And, you know, I, I complain a lot that Daytime hasn't modernized, but it has at least changed to some degree. And there are times when I feel like you can look at any period of Dark Shadows and mm-hmm. it doesn't feel as if they were moving forward. They were sort of, you know, not just necessarily telling the same story, but even the look of the show never really changed all that dramatically. You know, you're right. It was one, mm-hmm. basically one set, one house, one set of characters. They never introduced new people. Was that, you know, sort of also a problem, that other shows were going places where they weren't going? I, it's, it's funny. Like, recently – when I've been looking at some contemporary shows, because I wrote about Somerset a little while ago. I wrote about um, All My Children and Erica um, from, you know, from sort of late 69, 1970, or no, I guess All My Children was 1970. Uh, one thing that's, that is super interesting is that those shows were so static. I think especially when I wrote about All My Children, there are three cameras. There's somebody taking a picture of the whole room. The characters are sitting down on couches. One camera's uh close-up on one person, the other camera's close-up on the other person, and they just go back and forth, and that's how that scene is going to look. And on Dark Shadows, actually, the cameras are constantly moving around. and doing For better, for worse. More, yeah, for better, for worse. Like, <laughs> that means that they're going to cast the boom mic, like which they do, um, or run into something. Or something. But they, uh, they really always cared about making a scene look dynamic. Um, so the... Uh, really, like, looking at All My Children and looking at contemporary Dark Shadows, like, Dark Shadows is just clearly, visually, a much more interesting, much better show, no matter how crazy it is, um, that there's always something happening. Uh, and so I, I – the thing that I wouldn't uh, attribute, you know, the fall to is, is a lack of ambition. Like, they always really wanted to do, like, the biggest and craziest stuff that they could. Um, that I think ultimately it, it was just sort of a failure to be able to, to leave the confines of this house and to really change the kind of show it was. Um, they did that once, sort of when they went from the, the soap opera into the Crazy Vampire Show. And, you know, four years into the Crazy Vampire Show, they really just need to turn it into something different, and they can't. And they just, so they went through the door they didn't know how to go back through. You know, their salvation, yes. ironically, might have been going, you know, Back towards something a little bit more grounded and normal, yeah, or at least something new. Like I don't know if you know Doctor Who. That's another one of my oh, yeah yeah uh, one of my my big TV obsessions, um, and has always been since I was a kid. Um, the great thing about Doctor Who, what Doctor Who is for, is always showing you new things all the time. They're always going to a different planet. There's a new monster. They're going back into the past in some you know. They're going to do something new. Um, and in periods of the show where things got sort of boring and static, like you could always just take off and do a new type of story as, so, as long as somebody can think of it and you can make those monsters. And so the show is always sort of renewing itself. The the um, visual vocabulary of the show changed over the years. So it, it was like a very 60s show and then it was a very 70s show, which is, you know, a very different texture. And the show just kind of evolved that way. Um Dark Shadows kind of found this place, and that kind of show, like Dark Shadows is a similar kind of show that actually what it's about is novelty and visual interest and like always finding something to do, and it was time for them to evolve again, and I think they were just tired of it. They just wanted to stop. Well, so you are getting closer to burning the blog down. Yes. They are burning the mansion down. you're about to evolve what you know obviously when this is over you're going to have a big empty hole in your life what (laughs) are you going to fill that doesn't sound right i was going to say what are you going to fill that hole with but that just doesn't sound (laughs) right at all but that's 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 what i'm stuck with so go for it (laughs) um i i uh, i'm going to do another blog i have some ideas about stuff that i want to write about and actually that's kind of one of the reasons why i'm a little bit anxious to get through this uh 200 episodes um, because there actually are more things that I want to write about now. I want to write about movies, but I know that, like, I can't – there's stuff that I have to say. There's a story that I have to finish. There's, like, a, a kind of a complete story that I want to tell about Dark Shadows that won't be finished until episode 1245. Um, but once I do that, the idea is probably not right away. <laughs> like, it won't be the next <laughs> Monday. Um, well, that's what I wondered. Would you go, you know, like, okay, so here's what we're doing next, and it starts tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it's so funny, like, Part of the reason why I started doing this blog was um, I'd never written anything really big because I respond really well to deadlines, and, and I procrastinate a lot um, when there aren't any deadlines. And so, and, you know, but I hate that. Like, I hate that feeling of, you know, something is always late, I'm always behind. And I've created this world for myself where that is where I live every day now. But that is, that is the strange project that I created for myself. It feels like I know how to do this now, and so I am I'm excited about finishing this story and, and about evolving and, and going on to the next thing. Danny, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Um, you. I, mm-hmm. you know, you know that I am like your biggest fan. I want to oh, thank you, you for coming on and, and hanging out with me. Oh, it's been a great pleasure. Yeah, thank you.